Welcome to episode 101 of RSVP, the podcast about stationery and so much more. I'm your host, Les. Today, I'm speaking with Joe, a writer for the online pen company. Joe, you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about what you do? Sure. Um, so I, I've i been like working more or less in marketing for the last six years and just cra- gradually trying to like nudge my work to be more and more on the creative side and, and less on the kind of like number crunching kind of side of marketing. Uh, and I found that um, just the nature of like being like a, a businessy professional that like you spend most of your work life in front of the screen. Uh, and that like, my my theory at the moment is that screens can kind of be like uh, the antithesis of creativity. And like, I know that it might be like a bit like shocking to people who do loads of creative work in front of a computer um, or all of their creative work in front of a computer. And, but I've found that like, I can, if, if I like plan my ideas or like do my thinking first, like in a notebook um, and like it slows everything down, it gets you away from all of the distractions for a little while. And then when you do come to like finish stuff or like proceed with stuff in front of the screen, um, you, you're like a little bit more inspired while you're doing that work. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with it now. But I've been like kind of a stationary fan like a not very knowledgeable but like kind of i've loved the like experience of being in a stationary store since i was little nice nice what stationary is in your life right now what are you using right now i have a midori dotted a5 journal which has been very nicely bound in leather for me by a guy who lives in my city I live in Granada in the south of Spain, and there's a lot of like traditional leather craftspeople here. And there's a guy in right in the center of the town that has a tiny, tiny bookstore. And I took my Midori dotted uh, journal to him, and I, I was wondering. I said to him, like, "Do you have a cover that will fit this?" And he was like, "No, I'll make one for you." And I was like, "Wow, how much is that going to cost?" And he was like, 12 euros, the same as like it would cost for one of his pre-made ones." And I was like. I'm kind of stunned by his generosity. That's about like fifteen dollars mm. or something like that, and it's really nice. He's done a really good job of it. It's got a nice little leather tassel. That's my um, that's my good stuff journal. Like that's my fancy one that I like to. Um, I'm a little bit precious about what I put in that. And then I've got a a cheap one, a cheap journal um, that is made or it's made for the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, which is a kind of like classic fine art museum gallery. Mm. Um, and that's like quite cheaply made. Like, I mean, yeah, it's a cheaply made notebook lined, but it's pretty. Like it's got a pretty cover. And that has become my really intimate journal because I'm not very precious about what I put in it because it's a little bit scrappier. But then as a result, it's become the thing that's got all my secrets in it. <laughs> and then um, thirdly, I have an, uh, a journal that I've had for a long time that I use exclusively for work stuff. Um, and it's like an Italian one with like a nice embossed cover with like a really intricate pattern on it. Um, also lined much fancier than the Victorian Albert Museum one. Um, and I, yeah, I only put work stuff in there which keeps it separate which has been nice for me and then in terms of writing instruments i use a bunch of different pigma microns from sakura um 
And like years ago, when I first started journaling, I would always use the like O sevens, which are mm. some of the thickest ones they do before you get into proper like um, marker territory. Um, but I've gone down to the O fives in color. Um, and I've got like the alternative color set. So the Pigma Micron range, there's like a really common color set that I've had before that's kind of like your standard primary colors plus a nice purple. Um, and now I'm on these like alternative colors, which are called sepia, blue, black, royal blue, oh, yeah. burgundy, hunter green and fresh green. And they're pretty nice. But then I also have um, also Pigma Microns, but in black. And I've got an O2, an O4 and an O8. And the O2 is the thinnest nib pen I've ever used. And me using that now for some of my journaling feels a little bit like coming of age and being like a serious, like, oh, my handwriting is finally good enough that I can use the thin nibbed pen. Nice. Nice. That's some good stuff. Uh, so, so... I uh, carry a pocket notebook with me everywhere in terms of what's in what's in my mm. life right now. Um, I use a Notco fodder stack to keep this little bundle of pocket notebook and um, three by five cards in in a bundle, along with my COVID vaccination card. And also, I always have it with me. Um, so it's like a folio. It's like yeah. your uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like this little little pocket, and then on the outside of it, it's got a slot for a pen. And so in, I've got the little pocket notebook and Lisa asks a listener for the show. Um, she sent me this a while ago and I can never remember the name of the maker. And I feel so bad because I would love to buy more of these. Um, the cover is nice and stiff, the paper inside is lovely, and then it's hand stitched. There's just a simple pamphlet stitch, but it's so nice. Um, I just can't remember who it was. So it's a really sweet little pocket notebook. Um, and then the three by five cards. So, uh, listeners of the show will remember that, or if you've been listening for a while, I recently started a new job. And part of that job is I took over a print shop, um, which has been amazing. Uh, and I made myself, I call them my bougie three by five index cards. Um, so there were all of these like narrow prints that, the, they had done with groups that just weren't very good. Um, like they hadn't made the cut. They were just trash, but they weren't good for printing other things on because they were too narrow. Um, so I cut them into three by five cards and they're 140 pound or 90 pound like poster stock that you would use in a letterpress shop. So they're super thick, super nice, like just amazing, like Fabriano paper. Um, and other brands, like there's Arches, there's Fabriano, there's Arnheim, like all of the really nice, like Stonehenge, all of the really nice printmaking papers. I've got three by five cards made out of this stuff. It's got printing on one side, blank on the other side. And they're the nicest three by five cards I've ever used. I could throw any fountain pen on it. I can do little sketches, add watercolor, and it looks great. Um, and they just stand up. So I keep a bundle of, you know, like a half dozen of those in my pocket at any one time. Um, and then I've got a bullet pencil in the same little bundle and then a Parker Jotter. Um, and so that goes with me everywhere. Um, and then at work, I've got a couple of sketchbooks going. One is one that I bound myself out of more trash prints. And then I picked up a Talons, um, sketchbook at my last visit to Artists and Craftsmen. 
And I'm surprised at how much I like it. I picked up a I think it's eight by 10. It might be 11 by 14. I don't usually use a sketchbook that big, but it's really nice for my current work because I can fit a dozen thumbnail sketches on a single page, or I can do a sketch and show it to the kids and say like, Hey, this is how you work up an idea. And I've done that a couple of times. Um, but you know, we also just keep like crap eight and a half by 11 printer paper on every table. Um, and the kids, the kids will use that or I'll just grab a handful of it and be like, look, this is like you have an idea, right? And this is what you do when you're working out that idea, trying to get the kids to understand sketching because um, it's like developmentally up until about like the late teens, kids aren't thinking about sketches. They want to do finish. The, every every artwork is a finished artwork to them, not a sketch. Um, so they get mm. really frustrated when they get to a point in the sketch. They're like, oh, no, I screwed it up. And they just crumple it and throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, uh, like teaching them about thumbnail sketches and here's how you work out an idea to get something that can be more successful, um, is like what I use my sketchbook for at work. Um, mm -hmm. but and the end, are the index cards more like, are they, are they more like the good stuff for you? Like, do you do finished works on the index cards oh, or are they no. just for sketches as well? They're just, yeah, they're just sketches. I mean, they're good stuff, definitely, but it's like mm. I sketch on them. I also, like, I had to get a parent's phone number because it, it wasn't correct in the system. The number I had was shut down. Um, so, like, mm. I grabbed one of the index cards and was like, ask kid, hey, what's your mom's number? <laughs> like, I, I got to call mm -hmm. your mom. Um, and so, like, that's the kind of thing that I use those three by five cards for, too, just, like, scratch notes. Someone will mention something in a meeting and I don't want to put it in my sketchbook or my like in one of those notebooks because it, sometimes it gets lost so but if I, I put it on a three by five card when I'm like going through it at the end of the day I'm like oh yeah that that idea like that that website or that you know I need to make sure that I do that thing right away or oh yeah that kid's mom's number it's all right there mm. okay so what are you using for things that are super precious and like final uh, so, well, it varies. So like I will work up an idea in my sketchbook and then I'll transfer that to linoleum to carve it or I'll transfer it. I do a lot of, um, collagraph work. So that'll get trans transferred, um, with like a Sharpie to something like a cereal box before we cut it up and print it. Or, you know, I'll mm -hmm. work out an idea for a print and then I'll pull, the letters from the cases to make the print. Mm. Um, so, so a lot of times like the, everything in the sketchbook um, is just ideas and the final, final pieces of work always come from, you know, doing something in between the sketchbook and the final print. Mm. Um, Cause I do primarily work in printmaking and bookbinding and things like that. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, and then, so one of the things that I've been using in terms of like a pen is a Uniball Air in black ink. It's, um, they, I think the one that I have here was a 0.7, but the, the point size on it is not accurate at all. It's more like a one millimeter. So it pushes out so much ink. It's a pressurized, uh, mm. ink barrel. Um, it just, silky smooth on every paper but it also soaks through a lot of different papers so that's why it's great for sketching 
Um, mm. It's also waterproof, so I can add or add watercolors over the top of it if I want. Um, so it's nice for that. I think Ooh. I've got a um, review on my blog. So I'll make sure I put a link uh, to the for an affiliate link in the show notes for folks if they want to get one of those. I've got some Unibal um, uh, sparkling gel ink, uh, the Signo range. Oh, yeah. And they're like, yeah, they're wild. Like, um, I don't know if it, it probably doesn't feel that that similar to the air, but like, it so much comes out of it. Like, it's really kind of wild. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's really inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of pressure that you put onto the page doesn't seem to make any difference to how much comes out. Like it's just sort of like how the pen feels like um, feels like behaving on any given day. But it's also can also be quite liberating because it takes takes away your freedom to choose which um, to choose like how something will look in the end. But like always produces a nice effect in the end just because it's so sparkly. Hmm. I haven't tried the sparkly Signo range. I, I enjoy a regular Signo um, mm-hmm. because they're they, they're great um, in terms of their smoothness and they're a great sketching pen if you want like mm-hmm. a black ink. Um, but they like usually the Signo range is pretty consistently smooth. So, but I kind of want to get the sparkly stuff. Like I, I enjoy having uh, fun. Uh, gel pens just in buckets for the kids to use and yeah. for me i mean i'm not i'm not gonna <laughs> lie i like i like having the fun gel pens around too yeah i definitely recommend trying these like the, the smoothness is quite consistent it's just like um the, the line thickness just mm. seems to vary and like sometimes i don't know it might be because i'm not um i'm not used to using gel pens and like sometimes i give them a shake or something i don't even know if that's making an impact on what's going on in the barrel but like um yeah sometimes sometimes i'm like using them and it's like not much is coming out and then i'm like "Hmm, what's going on there and then i go over the line again and then suddenly it's super thick Hmm. interesting oh yeah i gotta pick up some of those i think (laughs) all right that's i'm I'm complaining about them but they're great (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that's, a, I think that's a good segue into our main topic about using the good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. so do you have any stories from your past about using the good stuff or specifically more pointedly about not using the good stuff? Is, was there a point in your life where you were scared to use the good stuff or didn't feel good enough to use the good stuff or anything like that? So I, I still am. I'm going through a, I'm going through a crisis right now about whether I'm ready to return to fountain pens. Because when I was in school, well, secondary school, I guess what is uh, high school for you guys? So like, yeah, uh, when I was like 11 years old uh, upwards, um, I would be like, I usually had like a, like an entry level Parker fountain pen for school. And I was a really messy kid. So like, I would be like splotching all over the page. It'd be really messy. Cartridges would be bursting and like pouring out of the sides of the pen <laughs> and it would end up. I mean, and I was also an anxious kid, so like sometimes I was chewing the bottom of the, the pen, and it was like a fancy thing, you know. Like I was like, even at that age, I think I had some sort of awareness that it was a fancy pen, you know. Like it wasn't like a everyday like uh, biro or something, um, but it was. But I would still like end up chewing the bottom of the pen, and that would really exacerbate the messiness of everything. And sometimes I think I had ink in my mouth. Um, and like, yeah, I think, um, I, and I had really bad handwriting as well. I was this kid in school, like I was kind of like smart, but like really disorganized and like 
did, had terrible handwriting and was like not very like ordered in anything I did. Um, so I guess it's been like more recent, like last four or five years where I've gotten back into using paper and pens more generally. And like my handwriting is getting okay now and I'm definitely less messy in my way of life. But I think I just have like a, a weird dissociation of like fountain pens with like, this is going to be a disaster for me. Like this is going to, mm. like this is going to emblemize me being a disaster because I'm going to like ruin all of my nice journals and stuff. But I think I need to push through that and get over it and go back to a fountain pen lifestyle because I do like the aesthetic at least. And I've seen on forums and stuff and like in the stationary community, a lot of people say like once they got their first nice fountain pen, they never went back to writing with anything else. And I'm a writer first and foremost. So it's kind of funny that I'm using all of these drawing pens for mostly mostly writing texts. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know, getting back into using fountain pens like here in the in the US, we don't typically use fountain pens in in mm. school at all um mm. it's just not common to see a kid under the age of like 18 with a fountain pen um mm. you might use like a dip pen in like an art class but i don't know and i went to uh, it's kind of complicated a semi-private high school um so, you know, like there weren't even people there using fountain pens. Um, but certainly like we had dip pens and flex flexible dip pens in my high school art classes. Um, but yeah, we're, we're only allowed to use like, um, roller balls and pens after a certain grade in at least where I grew up. Oh, wow. Um, <clears throat> So I find that it's always like fascinating to me that, you know, like there's a whole separate like thing in education where people are expected to use fountain pens as part of their schooling. Um, yeah, I think I, I won't swear to it, but I think I've had some exam papers in my in my childhood where it was like, you must use a fountain pen on the mm. front of the exam paper. And I think they, they like say that, but it's not actually it's not actually enforced or anything. Yeah. It's just like a weird cultural thing of like, if you're, you know, like part of being like a good student is like, you're capable of handling such a, such a delicate instrument. And like, mm. you're not gonna, you're not gonna make a mess of everything. And it's like, as important as your like knowledge of whatever the lessons were about. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's, in here like it was more at least when i was growing up it was more likely that you know if you were into fancy stationery or into stationery at all you were using something like a pilot v5 something like with one of those mm. needle points um or like a roller ball instead of a ballpoint mm. um or you were using black ink instead of blue ink to like you know because Blue ink was more common for the uh, high yeah. school kids. So it's just sort of like, you know, things were a little different than that, like than yeah. using a fountain pen. And I always find blue that was, kind of interesting. So uh, no. blue was definitely the default, the default color for us. Um, and like now I like can't, ima I like, it doesn't even make sense to me anymore. Like black is definitely like my standard thing. And maybe it's just like, yeah, that's education versus being a grown up kind of thing. But yeah. um like, I like using blue, uh, but, like, yeah, black feels like the sort of tidier, more, like, um, 
minimal sort of choice a lot of the time. You mentioned the Pilot V5, and uh, yeah, I think the Pilot V7 was the first pen that I had that I felt like this pen is on my side and is not like something that I'm wrestling with to try to like get something onto the page without causing a mess hmm. or, or like being really scribbly. Um, and like, yeah, and, and like at the time, I mean, that was also when I was like, okay, so um, the thick, a, a thicker nib is what I need to like kind of disguise my terrible handwriting. <laughs> um, and I've like maintained that, that approach until quite recently. And now like, in a way, the good stuff for me is the same types of like either needlepoint or like drawing pen uh, type stuff, but with a thinner nib mm. because I have I, I see it as like if I'm going to be worthy of the the 0.3 or smaller, I have to think I have to like do this slowly and meticulously and make sure that I'm like paying attention to what I'm doing. Whereas if I pull out the O7 of whether it's a pilot or the, or the Sigma Micron, I can be like, well, I can kind of rush this and it's going to be okay. Because um, like if like if there's tiny inconsistencies in the formation of the letters that I'm writing, then it's mm. going to be like, it's going to like be well disguised by the thickness. Mm. What do you think triggered your interest in using the good stuff? What, what got you there? Um, well, I mean, it started young, I think. Like I've enjoyed being in stationery shops and... I think at the start of every school term, um, when we'd be like getting whatever supplies that we were missing for the new term, I would kind of have this idea of like, oh, this is a nice fancy thing. And I think in my head, I was like, if I have good stuff, I'm going to, it's going to motivate me to be more organized. And I'm going to like, you know, I was always like fantasizing about like a more ordered, neat version of myself that never came into existence. Um, regardless of how nice stuff I had. Um, but like now it's become more real, I think. It's become a little bit true for me in adulthood after like a gap of like barely using stationery at all in my like late, late teens and early twenties. Yeah. But, um, so now it's like, um, whenever, uh, whenever I like I'm in a shop or I'm like looking for something new, um, the idea of like having a nice journal, like I'm willing to like pay more for like a nice journal that I can like really enjoy feeling in my hands and stuff. And it genuinely does become a thing that motivates me to use it more and to like view it as like quite a precious art object. Mm. Uh, and yeah, in a way it's like, there's a bit of a negative pressure with it as well that I can, that I, can get, I get to use positively because um, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to like, um, scribble and scratch and like you like do stuff in the nice notebook that um that isn't like with lots of effort in. And I think like maybe like one of the reasons that I was messy as a kid was because I didn't care in a way like I didn't um like I I, I wasn't like I wasn't super bothered about like how how things looked or like I had lots of thoughts like running in my head and I wanted to like get down as quickly as possible. And I think in my in my late twenties, I've come into a way of thinking of like, um, if I do this slower, if I like write these, if I write my thoughts down slower, it will actually slow down my thoughts. Hmm. And and like that kind of goes hand in hand with the nicer stationery, especially the nicer paper, because it's like I a like I want I don't want to ruin this paper. I want to um, I want to like 
make this the result of this page as nice as possible and not have not have too many mistakes on it. And then in doing so, that slows me. That slows down my my hand, and then that slows down my mind. And then I'm less anxious, and I'm like, uh, and I'm like thinking more clearly and a little bit more deeply. I'm not rushing from thought to thought and like abandoning some like previous idea to get excited about the next one. I'll like stay with one idea for longer and then fill the whole page with that idea. Mm. Um, and that's yeah, I, I think that's the main thing that the good stuff is for me now. And it's interesting that that's sort of a reflection of what I thought that the good stuff would be for me when I was a kid, like when I thought it would be like the thing that would force me to be tidy. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Like, I don't know. I think it's, this is like this tie between like the good stuff and having tidy handwriting for you. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like, um, it's like, I mean, now I have two kinds of handwriting basically. I have my okay handwriting where people see it and they like don't believe me when I tell them I have bad handwriting. And then I have my regular handwriting, which is what comes out if I'm using any pen that I don't love on any paper that I don't love. I can almost guarantee that like it's going to look similar to how it did when I was a teenager, which is barely legible. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, <laughs> the good stuff is uh, my like gateway to doing things more intentionally. It kind of sounds like really exaggerated and cliche, but it's so not for me. Like um, having like, like seeing it's, it's like a, a new world or a new version of myself that mm. um, a, a came into existence via like, um, yeah, no, it's like, a, it's, it's kind of, it seems kind of silly to think of it this way, but it's absolutely true. Like I um, started using a nice notebook and then a nicer notebook and a nicer pen and that just happened to synchronize with me, like being more intentional, like journaling more, like documenting mm. my thoughts a bit more to the point where like now those two things are intrinsically tied for me in my mind, even though they're not necessarily that closely related in reality. Well, I think it's that intentionality that I think so mm. many of us come into stationary you know, not knowing what we're going to do with the stationery or we're looking for a particular experience. And I think that that the intentionality is really a huge part of it for many of us. I mean, you're going in like for me, I like when I first really got, got into stationery, it was really about like intentionally seeking out materials that worked for making art in a particular way. Right. Mm. Like um, my first experience buying a pen that was over like a dollar or a dollar a package was buying a repeatograph um, in 0 0.01 size um, because mm -hmm. I wanted the tiniest point I could get. Um, and because I'd had experience having using one of those in an art class and I was a, you know, first year of high school, which um, was 13 for me, age 13. Um, and, mm. you know, it, like there was an intentionality and I had to go to an art shop and, you know, pick out the pen and spend, you know, what was an excessive amount of money for a 13 year old kid in <laughs> 1990, you know, like, mm. um, and then, you know, also buying a container of ink to go with that, you know, knowing that I was going to use that pen well, I mean, at this point for the rest of my life, like I've still got that same pen. Um, 
And, you know, like there's there was an intentionality in seeking that out, an intentionality in in the planned use of it. Um, I don't know. I, I like that. I think it's the first time the intentionality of use of stationery has come up in this series. And I really do think it's it's a large part of what we're yeah. doing when we're when yeah. we're seeking these things out. So you're saying when you when you like went to buy like stationery for the like uh, at the beginning of you getting into it, uh, you already had like the purpose in mind. Like the purpose came first. And then the and then the equipment came later. Yeah. But I got into stationery like in reverse. Like mm. I went into shops and I enjoyed the smells and the sights and the I don't know like the promise of it. Like mm. it's kind of like like the fantasy of like oh what what worlds could I be be living in? Like what type of person could I be if I like bought this mm. stuff? And then um, yeah, I think like. I, I think there's there's a question on on your list that I read earlier of like what um what's the difference between like collecting and using stationery, and I think like I'm one of those people that like could easily have become a collector, like but like not in a not even in with any knowledge because mm. I just wanted the stuff and like the stuff seemed like like like. I would sort of be telling myself stories of like, oh, I'm going to use this. I'm going to find loads of like exciting think ways to use this. But like, I never really knew how or why or like what it was that I was hoping to get out of it. Mm. I just felt like on a really like animal level, like super instinctive, like, oh, this is so beautiful. Like, this paper is so beautiful. Or like, oh, like, or I'd see like in certain um, shops that are like selling more like, briefcases and and like yeah file facts and all of this these kind of stuff like i would see that stuff and i'd be like wow i could be the sort of person that's really organized or like i could have loads, <laughs> loads going on with my life or like maybe when i was a bit older um when i first started uh, working in offices and stuff i'd be like yeah i'm gonna be like this super classy businessman that has like the nice uh the nice stationery and like is, has all of his shit together um, but like I, um, I think like the actual like usage of it came arrived for me with like bullet journaling. Like mm. when like a friend of mine was like, "You should try this to try and be more organized with your life," and then that just kind of segued into more and more creative journaling. And now, now my journal, my my nice journal, still has like a little bit of organizational stuff in it and planning but for the most part it's not it's like it's more like an art journal now it's like mm. maybe 80 percent art journal 20 percent planner um but that segue has been like really gradual it's been like in steps and now i'm more intentional in my purchases as well and the stuff that i want to get but originally it was the opposite <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up because so in several of my in and one of the previous uh conversations I had with someone it came up that if you want to be a writer you need to write. Mm. And a listener called in, Stacy called in and left a message saying basically like it's okay if you just like stationery as an aesthetic thing. You know, like here's mm. here's, uh, you know, an item and it's just a beautiful object and it's OK to just enjoy stationary as a beautiful object. Um, but I think like 
you're you're providing the connective tissue, if you will, between like, hey, I like these stationary things as aesthetic objects and the potential that they have, and then mm. following that potential to the actual use. Um, mm. And sometimes I wonder, like, I know there have been times where I just pick up a stationary object or, you know, like a sketchbook or more often than not journals and, and think about how beautiful it is. I have a collection of journals that just gather dust because I've picked them up and like, this is a beautiful thing. And then I get it home and I'm like, can't use it. It's too pretty. Um, <laughs> you know, but those, those stationary objects, when I was looking at them in the store, you know, they, the, those journals, I am struck by the beauty in them. Right. Mm -hmm. Like they're a beautiful object. They're well made. They're handmade. They're, you know, even if they're machine made, maybe there's a something pretty on the cover that I like. Um, but they have potential. Right. And yeah. sometimes I wonder if like that divide between stationary collecting and using is that people feel stymied by mm -hmm. the potential of their objects um, or worry that they're never going to achieve the potential at least for me I, mm. th I think that's some of it for me is like yeah you know like i don't want to collect i really want to use and then i'm staring at these stationary objects you know these journals on my shelf and they're staring at me and basically you know thumbing their nose because i should be using them right like i should be yeah. i should be tapping into that potential i um, kind of feel this way about like art and like beauty in general mm. like there's always like the potential is always like a threat as well it's always like what if yeah. you can't what if you can't have access to this and it's like and, and like even like if I go to an art gallery I feel like because of my lack of knowledge um the experience that I'm having in the art gallery is less is lesser than the experience that like I'm supposed to be having you know, and 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 that can almost put me off from from going as well. Um, but I guess like you have to either. I guess the the best thing to do is like to have so much um, trust in yourself and in your own heart that like you can just like push through it and go like, no, I'm I'm going to create. I'm going to create the worthiness that is necessary of this. Like maybe maybe what I'm going to get out of this stationary or this experience is like not as like. Uh, you know, like refined as people who've been doing it for longer, but it's going to be unique to me. Mm. And I'm going to have a relationship with this, uh, like this experience or this aesthetic situation. And it's going to be, yeah, like it's going to be unique. It's going to be new. Uh, it's going to like bring something about either, either inside like yourself or like it's going to create something out like physical and external um, that's going to be, it's going to be like worthwhile, even if it's like not like super refined or super like what you were expecting or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then I also think like when you have one of those like really nice, uh, a really nice kind of like journal or notebook or, or sketchbook or anything, and you feel like you can't, like you, you don't want to ruin it, <laughs> the first thing. I think like sometimes you just have to like accept the loss of it like the temporariness of everything and then like you know that um there's no like you just make peace with the fact that um the the thing that you dream the potential that you dream of is always going to be slightly higher than the reality mm. but the act of like attempting to get close like in a few like despite the futility of it like just attempting to reach that potential um makes it like brings about something that is like beyond 
what you could have imagined and like may, maybe even like makes you do the best uh the best work of your life because you're trying so hard to be worthy of the, of the material yeah yeah <laughs> So I think we're kind of like delving into the next question about how holding back from using the good stuff is linked to holding back in creativity, art, music, writing, all of that stuff. Mm. Um, any further thoughts on on how how that's linked? Yeah. So it's a dilemma for me because I'm running this like this like cheap notebook, fancy notebook duality at mm. the moment, and. Yeah, in a, in a way, like if I just had the fancy notebook, that would be holding me back because the fancy notebook is the one that I show to people, and it's the ones that like I can just give to my friends. And, I mean, it's still got like a lot of intimate stuff in there, but like I'm will and generally willing to hand it over to a close friend and just say like, yeah, flip through this. Um, and if if that was the only one that I had, then I wouldn't be doing any like what young calls shadow work i guess like i wouldn't mm. be doing any like oh what does my dark side say today <laughs> you know like wouldn't be doing any like super like scary scary talking to myself that i do in my cheap notebook but um yeah like if i was only using the the cheaper notebook that would be holding me back which i think is more closer to the intention of the question like it would be stopping mm. me from going like okay like what is the most beautiful thing that I can do with this? Um, but I also, so the, so the, the dilemma is that I have this instinctive, I have this like intuitive, like a uh, feeling that I want to segue to have either having just one notebook or like to make everything the good stuff. Mm -hmm. And that when I finished this cheap one, the, the thing that I get to replace it, being something that can be on the same level as the other one. But that is also scary. Like that's really, that's really terrifying. So I don't know. My, the, my honest answer is that I don't know if, if it's best to like fully embrace and like fully like kind of like sort of pump yourself up with like a self-confidence of like, yeah, of course, like everything I do is, is worthy of the, the, the good stuff. Like every, every like sketch, like, writing like you're the anecdote you had earlier of like asking one of the, the kids for the uh, mum's phone number like that even that is like a, a precious act like that's not scrap that's um you know like that's like life yeah um and like it kind of it makes me think of um in in zen and like I, there's like an old like zen um current that's like something it, i mean it, this this thing comes up a lot in zen it's like what don't make any distinction between like fair and foul like don't make mm. and don't make any distinction between like the holy and the ordinary um like the stuff the stuff that's just every day the like you like hastily scribbling down a note you should view that as like as sacred as anything in life like everything is of equal sacredness um and like that goes hand in hand with with mindfulness i guess like the idea that like you should try and like live your life permanently in a state of like the current moment that you're living is like the most important thing that's ever happened. Like, and there's not, you're not always like in anticipation of like something that's coming in the future. That's going to be like the special moment. Like now is the special moment. And then, yeah, I guess the, 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 um, the conclusion that you could get to from that is that all of the stuff is the good stuff. Um, and like there's, it, it I mean, you can you can still make a distinction between like the stuff that's 
like maybe more expensive or like you want to like save your um save your like fancier ink or your fancier paint for um a project where it's going to have more impact or whatever but in terms of just like the love or the level of connection that you have with the material then always shoot for a hundred percent maybe like Mm. (laughs) yeah i um i wrote a blog post series um I guess it was the beginning of 2021 about everything everywhere journals. Um, And I'm generally a proponent of like for my personal life, I use one journal other than my pocket notebook and three by five cards. Like, and a lot of times, sometimes those three by five cards and stuff in the pocket notebook gets transcribed over into the everything everywhere Mm -hmm. journal. Um, But I use a combination of like bullet journaling and, you know, um, I'm trying to think of like the bullet journaling thing of like taking notes and note taking and all all of my stuff goes into the one notebook. And sometimes I I lose sight of it and I pull in and and make other jur- journals and other notebooks for specific tasks. Like um I was doing some online classes and instead of putting all of that information in my everything everywhere journal, because I, I really felt like it was just going to it was going to fill up the everything everywhere journal really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of like set that information aside. And I really wish now that I had just put all of that information into my everything everywhere journal. Um just because it like I would know exactly where it was and I wouldn't have to pull a separate journal when I w- want to refer to those notes. Um, and now I'm like I'm doing some other online classes for work um, and I'm putting that into my everything everywhere journal. Um, but I really I don't know. I'm a I'm a big fan of just one journal at a time, filling it up and moving into the next one and not necessarily yeah. worrying about how much the journal costs or how nice it is just letting it be messy because that's what a journal Mm. is um and i also like alternatively i really like the idea of a commonplace book where like you pull out specific quotes and information um and have it in a commonplace journal but for now like i'm just putting all of that information into my everything everywhere journal in my my kindle's note at like page mm-hmm. um i i part of me really wants to like pull all of the quotes that i highlight um and put it into my my you know everything everywhere journal i think it just yeah. like have all that information just all pulled together um would be you nice. want to put them on like the same page or um or just, like spread them out between lots of different pages or like you have a quote on every page or something i'll spread them out like you know like if i'm reading something like i've been reading uh ray bradbury's zen in the art of writing nice. and you know i've got like 11 highlights from it um but it'll be really cool as i'm like reading just jotting down the the quote um into my into my journal and having it there and then maybe processing it because i think you know i think one of the difficult things in terms of like because i i read hybrid style i read on my kindle and i also read in pay on paper and when i'm reading on like a paper book 
it's really easy for me to pull that quote, write it on either a three by five card or write it into my everything everywhere journal and then process mm. it and be like, okay, here's why this was important to me in that moment. And when I'm in my Kindle, I highlight it and move on. I don't ever process those things. And I, I think that's yeah. a thing I miss. I do something even worse. I get my phone out and I take a photo of the page. <laughs> and like, cause, cause, cause my instinct in that moment, when I read something in the book I'm reading and I'm, I, I like it a lot. My instinct is I want to send it to someone mm. and like, it never has the impact that I want. Like, because without the context, like if I send it to friends and they like don't know, they haven't like read the previous pages or whatever, they're not going to like know why I found it so interesting. Mm. Um, so like, yeah, this is like a habit that I'd like to change actually. And like, maybe I need to start highlighting more like putting stickers in or something and then transferring it into the journal yeah uh, sometimes like i i will do a screenshot and share it to instagram and sometimes you know people mm. are like doing the likes and sometimes it's just like <laughs> it's like shouting into the void you know that information doesn't yeah. hit it doesn't hit people other people in the same way it hits me i guess yeah uh, i think when it's a short passage from a book it requires a little bit of like your exposition i think but you have to like because because it it's it's triggered like a bunch of thoughts and ideas in you, and then I think like you have to present that that quote or that passage alongside what it triggered in you, and then that like creates a new art object. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Going back to the topic of the everything everywhere journal, hmm. like I've been through a couple of phases of having that. Um. And like now, there's like a very specific thing that stops me from doing that. Which is that um, sometimes, uh, like, because of, like, the different speeds at which you fill pages, I, um, I like, there, there are moments where, like, I want to make sure that I will definitely see um, something that I've written recently again the next time I open the journal. Um, especially when there's, like, planning stuff, like, more bullet journaly type stuff. I'll like write out my like three week plan or something um, or, or whatever. And then like, I'm a little bit worried that like, if I then fill 20 pages with stream of consciousness, like writing about my dreams, then I'm never going to go, I'm never going to see that planning stuff again because mm. it's just, it's just gotten too pushed back. Um, so I almost like um, uh, arriving at a point of being ready to try the opposite approach and have it have like a whole bunch of different journals for every possible different situation mm. like one that's like just pure stream of consciousness don't think don't think about the words just put the words down and then another one that's way more planning oriented and it's like okay here's my shopping list or maybe even multiple like that maybe yeah. i'll have a I've, I've i've been i've been sort of like thinking about having a journal just for like managing the home just mm -hmm. for like kit what's going on in the kitchen at the moment what <laughs> ingredients do i have right now what ingredients do i want to buy what have i been cooking recently what have i been eating like i guess food it's a food journal that's cool. mm. <laughs> yeah I, I you know i think in terms of managing like projects um so i manage fewer projects in my everything everywhere journal because i separate out my work um, so I, I definitely have, you know, my work 
I don't call it a sketchbook. I call it, I call it my, I mean, I don't call it a journal. I call it a sketchbook at work um, mm. because that sketchbook goes with me everywhere. I take meeting notes in it. I take um, like, I'm planning a pizza party for my middle school group. Um, what pizzas do they like? Do we have any, you know, food allergies in that group? Um, and just making like, you know, like that kind of information goes in there plus all of the sketches and then also project planning. So, um, as an example, my LGBT group is creating, um, uh, posters about queer joy. So, you know, figuring out with them, where are they, you know, in, in their project, how long do they have before the project needs to be finished before the posters have to be put up? Um, are they using letterpress? What are, are they using? Are they carving things? What, where are we going with this is kind of like the thing that happens in that. So I'm, I'm planning it out week by week by week. And every two hour segment, I have those kids. Um, so that's like one, you know, planning tool. Whereas at my at home planning is more about, okay, I'm making pocket notebooks. I have this amount of time outside of my day job. Um, and it's more, more loose. So I'm not doing the same kind of project planning, you know, in my everything everywhere journal. Although my, um, gardening planning is a little more like, you know, that has to happen by a certain time. Otherwise you never get a crop. Um, so, you know, got to make sure that I have that planned out, but it's a little looser because I'm not doing the same kind of project planning and household planning that I perhaps used to, because some of it is, you know, at my age, it's sort of automatic. Um, mm. But, you know, I, I, I don't remember. I don't even remember where I was going with all of that. Yeah. <laughs> so the gardening, does the gardening get its own notebook? That's just, or is that just in with the, the home planning? Stuff? It's, it's in with the, it's, that gets into the everything, like goes into the everything everywhere right. journal. Okay. Um, but the gardening, the gardening is more involved, right? It's a little, yeah. I mean, in, in the beginning stages, um, it's a little okay. more involved. It, um, do you never find you have to flick through the everything everywhere to find the relevant gardening information that you need? Um, yeah, but I will use like post-it tabs to kind of mark out. I'll use, mm. I color code. Mm. Um, mm. So like, I mean, it's kind of trite, but I'll use green post-it tabs for everything gardening related. Um, Bookbinding stuff will get everything blue because blue begins with B and books begin with B. Um, so, <laughs> nice. you know, I kind of color code stuff like that so that I can find it pretty quickly. Um, and then it's – and I don't necessarily do that in the moment when I write it. Sometimes I'm like, ah, where the heck is this information? And I'll flip through um, and then I'll be like, oh, I, I've got gardening information on 12 different pages. I need to tab all of this stuff. And then I'll just tab it um, at that mm -hmm. point when I'm searching it out. And then, like, I know I can I can find this pretty easily that way. Um, so, yeah, that's that's just a tool that I use. Um, so bringing it back to some of the the – almost the last kind of question here because we're coming up on time um and you've brought this up a couple of times in the discussion is um if we take it a little deeper is 
the idea of being worthy to use a good material mm. or tool. And I, I, I mean, I've spoken about this too. I feel this, um, you know, in terms of like, do you know, am I good enough to use this nice journal? Is my writing good enough to use this nice journal? Is it okay to just, you know, hack down a bunch of ideas in a $30 sketchbook or, or journal? Um, and what do you think about the whole idea of worthiness being tied up into the use of good materials? Um, and how does well, that how does that work for you? Yeah, so I I feel that more as a musician with like uh, mm. I feel like my main guitar is like too good for how good I am. Um, but like it's I don't know. I think it's like a it's like a deep self sabotage thing, and it like comes like I mean like there's there's two ways of looking at this really because there's a side of it like when you take it like really literally like worthiness like am I am I good enough like is it possible for me to be good enough. Mm. for this um then i think the answer is always like yes you have to use the you have to use the tool that you that you like and that you have like you, you got it for some reason maybe it was a gift um I and mean, that's been the case for me a few times like i've had a few notebooks that were gifts and then i felt like precious about putting anything in them but like what however you have come to acquire this good material it's like more it's you're you're respecting it more by using it i think not yeah. no no shade on on people who who collect things and then keep them in a box or whatever but like yeah i think it's if if you have the intention of using it then like there's no good um it's no good like waiting around and saying like i'm not going to need enough to use this yeah but i do think there is some there is some like uh wisdom in the idea of like this is so beautiful or this is so good like what i do with it should try should be trimly worthy of it and i don't think i don't think that's a feeling that should be repressed but it should be like danced with a little bit like there, there needs to be like a bit of an interplay of like yeah i can like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna like make sure that i that i like focus and i try hard with mm. the good stuff i think that's the way i look at it and it's like if 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 that um stifles you so much that you go for months and months and months thinking about using it without using it then you've gone too far one way but then if but then you can go too far the opposite way and then you can be like oh well i'm gonna use my nicest pen and my nicest paper and i'm gonna like scribble and and scratch and like not put much intentionality and effort into what i'm doing and then you're in the realm of like maybe not not getting as much love out of the thing as you could be mm. um because i think if you wanted the good stuff and you if, if you if you view the, the material in your mind as the good stuff or you did when you were getting it then you there's probably a part of you that like intends to do something a little bit like bolder or more intentional or more careful with it mm. and it, it deserves that i think like it deserves that care as long as it doesn't hang you up for so long that you don't actually do anything there's like a balance. I yeah. I, um, I've always had the feeling that the worth of a sketchbook or journal, notebook, you know, scratch paper, whatever it is, is created through its use. So when I fill up a notebook, it becomes invaluable to me. When it's just empty, mm -hmm. it's just, you know, it's it's a bundle of paper uh, and staples or a bundle of paper and thread. It's, it's worth something certainly, but it's just the materials. But once I add my ideas to it, once I, you know, whatever, even if I'm just scribbling the information in there, um, I am adding the value to it. And mm. I think sometimes um, 
in terms of worthiness, like there's a big, you know, question in my mind in terms of like having imposter syndrome and am I actually worthy enough to put my ideas in here and give this thing value? You know, and I think that's, at least for me, that's where I get caught up in, like, whether or not I should use a good material or tool. Uh, and, I, you know, as I've aged, I've worked on that a lot. And I know that um, sometimes my best work happens because I'm using a decent material, a decent tool. And I've come to the point where I'm now thinking about the fact that when I buy something nice, you know, I... I buy the best thing that I can afford in that time. And then I use the heck out of it. Um, mm. And that's where it's, it's usefulness happens. That's where it becomes valuable. And it's, it's more about my use than it is about the money that I spent to get it. Um, and I think we give meaning to things through their use. Um you know what what any any tool becomes more valuable to the user the more that you the more you use it in my opinion mm. um and i think that's super important that that's a thing for all of us to remember like you know you can go ahead and buy you know a $2000 fountain pen great but if you're not using it it's mm -hmm. just an object and it's a beauty it can be a beautiful object and that there aren't any shade at collectors but mm -hmm. what happens when you start using that $2000 fountain pen and you start writing with it um, and you make it an invaluable part of your creative routine. Um, it, it it achieves like a whole other value to you. Um, yeah, I, I think you can even be a collector, but like use the things that you're collecting enough to like gain like a deeper level of appreciation for them, even if you're not like using them every day. Yeah. But I think, yeah, like turning something into having something beautiful and, and special that then becomes a tool in your life does mean that you get to have a deeper relationship with it. And like that, like, yeah, that creates like way more joy for me at least yeah. to like, to make something at all. And then to like also accept the damage that will be done to it in a way, mm -hmm. like the usage, like the wear and like, yeah, I mean like a lot of, it, it, this is weird like experience as you're like working through a journal and like the cover is starting to like take I mean I, I always like put my journal on a backpack and it's getting like thrown around a lot and it's getting loads of like scratches and everything in the cover when I've had like a hardcover journal and like that's an interesting experience like watching it turn from this like perfect object into this more kind of like rough and like workable type, type of material yeah. and like accepting it, embracing it, loving it the same as like aging, I think. It's like seeing this, seeing like the process of like smoothness turning turning into like maturity being like something that looks something beautiful that's happening rather than like, rather than like seeing it as like a loss. Mm, yeah. Um, and I was going to talk a little bit about the fact that you, you like mentioned like having like a super fancy fountain pen. And I guess like for some people, maybe they, they get something like that as a gift and it mm -hmm. becomes really scary. And like maybe that is also a moment where like the idea of worthiness comes in a lot. I also think like with with stuff that's that fancy, a lot of the um, a lot of the labor and material cost that's gone into it and the reason why it's expensive is not just not just the components of it that make it a great tool it's also like 
components that make it a luxury object or something like mm, well, when you're with yeah. a lot of fountain pen fans like they get just as excited about like stuff on the external casing as they do about the internal mechanics of it um and i guess then like i think i think with that side of it if you find yourself in possession of like a lu- any kind of luxury object that you feel like you can't appreciate i think the best response to that is just to embrace it and have it and like not because because it becomes like a class thing, you know, it becomes like a thing of like, oh, I shouldn't have this, like I'm not high class enough. And I think if that's the hesitation, then like just kill it. Like just absolutely like cut that thought down before mm. it even has chance to root. Because like it doesn't like even if you're the fanciest person ever and you've been around only the finest writing instruments your entire life you probably still don't really, really, really appreciate like how fancy the thing is. Like mm-hmm. only if you're in the business of making it. Like if you're like if you like work with gold and stuff, that the only people who appreciate jewelry are people who make jewelry, really. You know, like but like people buy fancy jewelry and stuff and it like it has all these trappings of like luxury and class and everything. So I think like if even if you feel like you don't appreciate it, even if you like feel like you don't know enough about it or you don't have enough like your your handwriting's not good enough to be like worthy of the fancy fountain pen, if you have the thing, either because you wanted it and you bought it, or it was given to you as a gift, or you found it somewhere, <laughs> like then just um you know, like, don't even, like, bother listening to the voice that says, like, it's not for you. Mm. Um, it's it's more relevant. I think it's more of a dilemma when it's a question of, like, can you get the best use out of it because of its, like, because of its effectiveness or whatever. And that's, like, how I feel about, like, a musical instrument or whatever. If I have, like, a really, really nice guitar, then it's, like, okay, I need to, I like, um, you know, there's, there is a question that has a little bit more legitimacy to it, which is, like, mm. am I really appreciating how good this thing is? And, like, then, like, yeah, like, that's something that you can listen to and, like, work through, I think, and, and, like, see as, like, valid, but ultimately you have to get past it, you know? So I think there's, like, multiple angles to this. Yeah, I think there are are a lot of thoughts about, uh, you know, that people have regarding, like, collectibles uh, and expensive tools. And, you know, I think everyone falls in a different, different sort of spot in terms of, like, how much something is worth regardless of like what you paid for it or the materials um, used in its creation. And it's that that's been like consistent across these conversations is that everyone has a different view of, of all of that, Um, which has been Mm. really fascinating for me to be able to like (laughs) hear all of these different ideas and thought processes. Um, So, yeah. Any awesome. any final thoughts about this? Well, uh, what I will say is that a big thing that I've gotten out of recording this with you has been realising that I want to take notes and take quotes from books that I read more and put them in my journal mm. um, rather than just taking photos, which is what I do at the moment. Or if I do take the photo, then like remind myself to um, then add that to my journal when I'm when I'm ready or like at a certain moment. Um, and like to link that to the good stuff, I think like that's, that's a really good thing. That's the sort of thing that I want to put in my nice, in my fancy journal, you know, like quotes from books, whatever book I'm reading, because then it, it's like, a, it like adds to the reading experience as well. Like some people say like, you haven't read a book until you've read it twice. Mm. Um, but I think like if you re- reread the parts that, 
had the biggest impact on you, um, then you're getting a lot of that second reading value as well. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, um, yeah, I hope that uh, you decide to to take more more reading notes and <laughs> engage with the reading. I'm gonna. I'm going to try my best. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and I am also, I think, going to um, pull some of that into my Everything Everywhere journal and add another level into my reading um, because, you know, I'm going to pull it out of the Kindle and add it into my my Everything Everywhere journal. It's a good, good reminder mm -hmm. for me, too. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Well, we are at a little over an hour here. And... Thank you for engaging with me on this topic. It's always really interesting to hear all of the different things that people have to say about using the good stuff. So thank you um, for recording this with me. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you for having me. And um, just uh, want to thank the listeners to for continuing to listen to the show and engaging with me uh, through the voicemail and uh, for shooting me emails and follow-up questions. And I know that the um, Facebook group is still growing strong, so I'll, I think I still have the link to that somewhere here. Um, but for those of you who are interested, you can continue to call the voicemail and leave messages. The phone number is 978-712-0705. All right, you can find us online. Joe, where can people find you? Uh, so me personally, you can like you can find me on Instagram. I often take photos of inside my journal and upload those. And my handle on Instagram is Medieval Monk, but Medieval spelt like evil rather than eval. <laughs> um, and you can find uh, my writing and some of my thoughts about stationery on the Online Pen Company's blog, which is www.theonlinepencompany.com/blog. You can find the podcast at rsvpstationarypodcast.com. You can find me less at comfortableshoesstudio.com. My Instagram is originallcharper. And find me on Twitter at originallcharper. And I'm no longer on Facebook. I mean, mostly. Um, all right. Thanks again, Joe. Thank you.